Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute or Hi Among Friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, Hi is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews, you're able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it. Welcome to episode six. I'm really excited to share this interview with you. It's an exclusive with Haya, my co-host here at May I Have This Dance. The concept for this podcast, from my perspective, was born from a spark of enthusiasm when Haya and I realized that we both really enjoy jumping into deep, intimate, sometimes taboo conversation. And then we realized we must not be alone in that. In this episode, Haya shares about the role creativity has played in his personal development and the passions that have made him who he is today. I hope you'll get a sense for his brilliance and almost romantic view of life. It's quite infectious. Shall we begin? Hi, Haya. Hi, Kate. We were just chatting a little bit before we decided to hit record, and we decided to jump in because uh, I asked Haya how he's feeling about our friendship. And um, so, Haya, I am wondering, we recently had kind of a, a deeper, more intimate conversation about your marriage, and I'm wondering how you felt after that conversation and how you're feeling in your connection to me and where you're at. Um. So the reason why I wanted to start recording is that I was about to point out to you that I don't think I've ever had anybody ask me that question. Mm. And I don't think I've had somebody say, uh, how is this friendship going? Or how is this, how are these interactions for you? And in a way that is, to me, incredibly typical of the type of interactions I've had with people within, within high in that people are so incredibly conscious in how they how they choose to interact and how they choose to talk to each other. My first real interaction with with High as a volunteer was that um, you asked if I knew any photographers, and I was like, um, "Yes, actually, <laughs> I, I have dabbled in photography, and I would like to come along and help." And I've done hundreds, if not thousands, of photo shoots in my life, and. Photo shoots are weird, right? Everybody's on a really tight schedule. You have like a list of shots you really, really want. And the thing that really blew my mind about this photo shoot was that one of the really strong core tenets of high is uh, the tenet of choice, right? If you don't want to do something, you say no. Or if you want to do something in a slightly different way, you do it in a slightly different way. And nobody actually uh, thinks any less of you. Now, that's the first thing I tell you in one of the workshops, but I kind of 90% assumed that that would be lip service, mm-hmm. that that wasn't something people actually met, that you could, that, you know, this kind of the, the, the thing that, like your boss would say, oh, the door is always open. But that really means just don't bother. <laughs> yeah. Right? That kind of thing. Right. But in this particular case, at this photo shoot, you know, I was really impressed by how everybody who was involved still wove a thread of choice deeply through the photo shoot. Like, mm-hmm. hey, if somebody points a camera at you in a moment that is vulnerable, that is beautiful. We are here for vulnerable moments. 
But it is possible that you feel that that is too vulnerable or that is too much for you in this particular circumstance. And in that case, you know, just hold up a hand or say no. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced that in in a photo shoot setting. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a really beautiful example of, as an organization, living your principles. And I've been in the corporate world for for most of my career and living your principles is so rare that I just found that really beautiful. Absolutely. I it's bringing up for me in our last conversation in one of our episodes we were talking about you brought up that context really matters in terms of whether people are willing to kind of put down their guards quickly or not. And within high, you referenced that there's this context and expectation of deep intimacy. And, um, and then when you go back in, out into the world, that context tends to change a little bit. And so um, what I'm hearing for you is that there's like, you know, in our connection and with the people that you've met with in high, there's this general kind of assumed leaning into the deeper, more intimate, direct questions and um and also that there's choice even around that that you know uh part of what creates that intimacy is the fact that there's so much respect about how deep do you want to go how much do you want to be seen do you literally want to be photographed or not even if you're here as a volunteer for that purpose yeah you've already signed a model release (laughs) but still we want we want you to be in your fullest self-expression and and um so i think that's a beautiful observation would you tell us a little bit more about your photography journey? You know, I, I don't know much about that side of you. I feel like we've done a lot of talking about our our interpersonal world, but I know that you are this hugely creative person. Will you tell us a little bit about what that part of your life is like? Yeah, for sure. So I um, I did a journalism degree and I hated every moment of it. I was really... I felt that the way that journalism was taught at the school I went to was very much, you know, taught by people who couldn't make it as journalists themselves. And so they decided to teach instead. And I felt really uneasy about that and kind of made a decision to never work as a journalist uh, as a direct result. And I had always been really interested in photography. Now that I'm out of university, I need to make some money. uh, I can totally work as a photographer. So I worked as a fashion photographer and as an event photographer, and uh, I did some uh, architectural photography for a while. And I realized as much as I loved photography, I hated working as a photographer. Mm. And it took me a really long time to figure out why. And at some point I had this revelation. I was was, (laughs) was quite drunk. I was in a pub (laughs) with a friend and I was like, you know what? I think I figured it out. I think I know why I don't like doing this, doing this. I was like, I also like having sex. But if somebody starts telling you when you have to do it and they start paying you for it, there's a very different word for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I realized essentially I was uh, prostituting my photography skills. And I was like, I don't feel good about this. I usually love doing photography, but the way I like doing photography is, you know, you take a thousand photos and maybe one of them turns out great. When you work commercially, you have to kind of tamper that a lot. You know, you can't, you can't take a thousand photos for a client and deliver one great photo. They want a hundred great photos. Mm -hmm. And so the way you do that as a professional is that you take all the creative edge out and you redo the cliches that you know work. The same lighting setups, the same poses, the same structures, the same everything. And as a result, your photography becomes just 
just boring, hmm. right? You, you get a very distinct style. And if that style happens to be what your clients like, then that is great. You can do it day in, day out. You don't really have to think. But at the same time, you're not pushing yourself. You're not developing. You're not. What I really like about photography is the, is the experimentation. It's the development. It's the coming up with crazy ideas that almost certainly won't work. But what if they do? <laughs> and I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm like that about a lot of things, I think, um, about my career in general, about how I look at things. I'm very much a, oh, let's try it. If it turns out to be an unmitigated disaster, eh, I'll try something else yep. kind of person. So I'm hearing from you and I'm sensing that the creative freedom is really important to who you are and to your sense of enjoyment of what you put your energy behind. And I'm wondering about that connection between creativity and, you know, you, you alluded to the connection between your photography and to sexuality. And I'd like to play on that a little bit, you know, tell me about the relationship between your creative energy and your sexual identity and your relationships and your life force and what drives you. Damn. (laughs) So, uh, thanks, thanks for soft, soft solving these questions here, Kate. You can handle it. Um, I can, I can, I feel brave. Um, I think there is, I actually have done a lot of thinking about this recently about how professionally I spend most of my time, in my cerebral brain. And I spent a lot of time thinking and, and being, I mean, I'm a very intelligent person. I can think my way through almost everything. But the big realization I had relatively recently is that thinking only gets you so far. The stuff that really matters is in the emotional space, right? Uh, you can't really think about having a friend. You can't think about having a lover. You can't think about uh, a wife. You, you have to feel it. You have to experience it. You have to emote it, right? And that is, that it comes from a very different space. And I think uh, real creative enjoyment, whether that is from uh, creativity that somebody else puts in front of you, i.e. a beautiful movie or a picture or a painting or what have you, or the creative life force that you put into the world of, of creating something something beautiful, I think those energies are very closely related, right? You have a, there's this really strong drive to create in a lot of people, uh, me included. Um, I don't remember who said this, but there's a beautiful quote about writing is that, you know, writing doesn't write you a, make you a writer. What makes you a writer is the inability not to write. Mm, beautiful. And I think, and I think that is true for so many emotive and creative endeavors. If you've ever been so incredibly turned on that you just feel like your entire universe is erotic, um, that, that is how I feel about creation, right? There's, a, there's this incredibly strong drive towards an experience or a sh- especially a shared experience that is almost impossible to repress. I don't take photos that often these days, but the times that I do, I'm like, I have to grab this. I have to grab this camera. I have to go out and and create something. Mm. I hear it. I hear like even in your description of it, the the strong impulse to uh, give in almost is. It sounds like I'm hearing. It's not just. It's like you're going along with the ride with something that's coming up from within you rather than generating it yourself. You're leaning into some sort of source that uh, drives that inspiration and creativity and uh, joy really in what you're doing. Am I hearing that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's where, that's where true art and true creativity comes from. 
And at that point, it doesn't actually matter if you're good at it or not. You know, you could be a terrible photographer, but if, if that fulfills that drive in you, then I think that is perfectly valid. And I think that is actually true for a lot of creative endeavors, right? If you, if you're a terrible poet, but you still get, uh, a feeling of wholeness and a feelness of feelness of uh, feelness. <laughs> I totally know how to word. I'm good at words. Uh, you get the feeling of um, accomplishment from from putting pen to paper. Mm-hmm. Then that is really all, that is the purpose of that type of art. Tell me a little bit about how this comes back to, like, if we're looking at a, a picture of Haya or a sculpture of Haya, what, you know, it feels to me like art and creativity is a, is a backbone to who you are. Tell me a little bit more about how this relates into your identity, what it means to you to be a creative person. Why does that matter? Why do we have art and creativity in this life and, and specifically related to you and, and your history? So you asked this question at a really interesting time in that um, I left my job uh, about two weeks ago and I am currently on a journey of rediscovery of trying to figure out, okay, what is it I actually want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And your question of creativity is actually incredibly timely because it's it's spinning through my mind a lot. You know, uh, Should I optimize my life for uh, having a relatively easy job where I can make okay money and then invest all my creative energy in my private time where I have full creative control and full everything? Or should I choose a, um, a career where creativity is kind of woven into the fabric of what I am trying to do? Mm. That is kind of a, a fundamental choice, I think, uh, because I don't think, I think it's very difficult to have both. And I don't think uh, there's any real chance that I will go back to being a photographer for money full time. Uh, but there are there are roles that are definitely more and less creative. And I think if I think about where I am happiest is where I, I have deep connections with other people. I have, uh, I can really flex my creative and intellectual brain at the same time. And I can collaborate with other people to make something magical happen. And I think that kind of triumvirate of creative energy and, and beauty is something that I'm now actively pursuing and deciding to to see if I can weave into my professional life as well. I think working with you on this podcast is a great example too. Uh, you know, we're a couple of interviews in, and I I love the in, the intense intimacy that we've been able to create in these interviews, um, and even just listening back to some of the rough rough edits we've had so far, I, I'm thinking, wow. I want to listen to this podcast, never mind <laughs> that I was there actually helping record it and, and draw this kind of info out of right. people. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's just such a, a beautiful creative pursuit. We are able to have this, this strong uh, connection with the people you're talking to. And that really strongly reminds me of what it was like to, to work in my early days of journalism, to work as a photographer, and in a weird way in various other types of careers, right? Um, of all things, I was a policeman for a while. Oh, wow. And <laughs> yeah, in London. And um, you, you don't really think about creativity when you think about police work. But honestly, I never used a weapon on anybody. I never, uh, I never did anything except really honestly talk to people and just actually have conversations and go, oi, what's going on here? You can't do this. Yeah. 
let's have a conversation. You know, occasionally they end up in handcuffs and <laughs> there was definitely some altercations of, involved there. But there's, there's, a, there's a level of creative problem solving that I think is possible in even the most uncreative sounding jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, that is a beautiful way of, of bringing your full self to something. Um, I was talking to my to my bosses as I left my previous job, and I was like, "Hey, one of the things I've been really grateful for in this role is that I can't not bring my full self to something, and the openness and willingness to have me be me in this role has been one of my favorite things about being in this job, right? Yeah. And I feel like that that is kind of a, a a brave thing to do because what if somebody doesn't like your full self? Um, Hmm. I'm, so I'm really hearing a lovely deep dive that you're demonstrating for us into, you know, what's going to be fulfilling for me. And you're looking at it through the lens of our jobs. And I think that as people, uh, we go through all kinds of different explorations of what will fulfill us, right? Not just our jobs, but our relationships, parenting, uh, travel, you know, however we apply it, I think there, there, it comes in different rhythms, what we're looking at in terms of fulfillment, but in terms of what we do in the world, what, what brings us money, but also how we give back, how we generate our own gifts for the world, that exploration, I think, is pretty universal on some level of like, who am I? What can I give? How am I going to have fulfillment in the work that I do? And I am really appreciating you sharing your process around it because I'm hearing the, you know, the balance of how do I have all my best skills be really utilized in whatever I do next, but also how do I harness that uh, passion and that deeper sense of connection with something that matters to me? And I'm hearing that the larger connection to people is a theme for you. You know, even, even in, as a police officer, this, uh, you know, being able to talk to people on the street and get to know them and um, be a citizen of the community that maybe has some other expectations around your job, but, but that connection element. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about how you've grappled with your identity around what you want to contribute to the world, you know, uh, where you see yourself in your journey of what, it is that you're creating for fulfillment and um, just talk to me a little bit more about what fulfills you and what you see yourself doing next. That's a really good question. Um, in particular, because I'm kind of in the, in the middle of it, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I'm doing a lot of this thinking right now. Um, Share with us your, your grappling. <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> I've always been really um, more than anything else. I am two things. It is opportunistic and curious to a fault. And those two things together mean that I don't really know what I'm going to do next. And I am 100% at ease with that. And I'm, I'm starting to learn that that is actually relatively rare. I, I am very happy with saying, you know what, one year from now, I literally have no idea if I will be living in this country, if I will uh, have a job in tech, if I, uh, what my relationships will look like, uh, I just don't know. Mm. And I think that is um, really interesting, but I'm also not at all really that worried about that because what I, what I experience is that just by saying yes to a lot of things, um, you, you kind of walk a path of trying to figure out what feels good. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and if you come across something that doesn't feel good, then you say, well, that didn't really work for me. But there's nothing to stop me from getting off this roller coaster and getting off a different, getting on a different one. Right. I, I, what I'm sensing in that is like there's freedom and there's confidence that you're going to be okay. That you know you will find a way to the next stepping stone. And I imagine, and I've witnessed that that can be pretty scary for people to trust that the next step will emerge. Tell us a little bit about how you lean into that. Yeah. I think I am probably one of the luckiest per- people in the <laughs> world. I I genuinely believe that. I think I am an incredibly lucky person. But it turns out being lucky is very easy. Um and uh some of that definitely comes from from privilege. You know, I have a I have a safety net that I'm very aware of that, you know, I I'm operating from a position of of relative safety. Mm-hmm. Um in that I can, I I can afford to take a little bit of time off work. I can afford to not know uh, what is going to happen next. And I mean, in a couple of months, maybe I'll I'll, I'll have a very different <laughs> conversation. But for now, I think I feel relatively safe and secure in, in in my place. So that takes kind of care of the of the basic essential worries. And the next step from there is just like, okay, to be lucky, what it takes is just say yes to everything. So, you know, if somebody tries to initiate a conversation with you in a queue at a bakery, have that conversation. If somebody stops you in the street and and uh, asks you a question, answer the question and see where that takes you. If, if an old friend comes out of the woodwork and say, hey, um, I'm thinking of stepping back from my company, could you imagine running that? To actually take a beat, have the conversation, and you know, in this particular case, I had one friend who who asked, and I ended up saying no because I, you know, I'd have to move back to London. I'm I'm not really ready for that. But there's a lot of interesting opportunities that come up if you're just willing to to say yes to stuff. And I think my entire career is, I mean, my my resume is absolute garbage. It is it is a garbage fire, and the reason for that is that I just kept following my curiosity around. So I've been a TV producer. I've worked in venture capital. I have founded four companies. I've written I've written fifteen books about photography. I've operated a couple of very successful blogs. I've and every time I've just kind of gone, yeah, I can totally do that, and then go and figure out how to do it. Uh, stub my toe massively, spectacularly fuck up many times. Uh, been at the absolute brink of bankruptcy a couple of times. But somehow, somehow, just just things seems to keep coming together. I say that from from a, from a place of incredible gratitude mm. and incredible uh, a sense of deep wonder, right? Because I feel like walking through life in a in a mode of of being curious and opt- opportunistic is. Uh, my big struggle is uh, is that I don't know why I deserve this or if I mm. deserve this, and that's a that's a hard thing to try and figure out, you know. Because I have a a, a lot of friends who are struggling, and several of them have, have said to me, if if they were in my position, i.e., unemployed and not really sure what to do next, they would be in a state of blind mm. panic, and that gives me pause because I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> should I feel guilty about not? being in blind panic. Right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure. It's, it's a, 
it's an interesting place. Yeah, to be. it is. And uh, so a few things popped through my mind as I was listening to you. One is I just recently read a quote that you may have also seen um, that said eroticism is the space between two people. And that's um, beautiful. It reminds me of what you're creating. You're creating this spaciousness of um, allowing the interim to serve you, right? I think that a lot of times we feel like we have to jump from one thing to the next and have it all figured out and have this plan. And we forget to create that space where uh, new ideas can come in, where growth can occur where the magic can lead us in a direction we're not expecting. And so to take the pause in life, uh, you know, I do think it's wonderful that you pointed out that there's a privilege in that. I, I do think there's, you know, it reminds me of Maslow pyramid of hierarchy where you have to have your basic needs met before you can start to um, look inward and self-reflect. And you have to, uh, you know, be able to sleep at night and eat and have the bills paid before you can advance to higher purpose. And so, you know, it's, it's wonderful that there are people in the world who have that ability to take the space because because I think that's where invention and uh, creativity and all of these juicy, yummy things happen is in that spaciousness. Um, so I'm just, I, I think you should take it. I think it's really wonderful that you're giving yourself that spaciousness. And, and I get the like pull to rejoin the rat race, you know, and, and have, and have it figured out is that I heard you say, um, okay, so I'm giving myself this permission to be in the interim, to be in the white space. And when wonderful, yummy, amazing things come out of that, I'm struggling a little bit with whether I deserve that. Can we dive deeper into that, that deservedness? Yeah. Uh, I want to hear more about that. I want to know, you know, where that comes from. Um, my, I, I feel empathy because I, um, I, I can relate to the feeling of like, wow, my life is this good. Do I really, is this okay? <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about that and whether that awareness that maybe you've got it really good then puts you in a position to do more good in your life as you as you move out of the white space. Yeah, I, th I think so. And I mean, I think some of the conversations I'm having about the potential roles I might be doing, I'm definitely biasing them towards uh, how can I, how can I do well and do good? Um, and you know, I, I'm talking to various companies and organizations that, that have that as their charter. Like, look, we, you are contributing to making the world better. And I think I am in a place now where, uh, despite having a very weird resume <laughs> that God knows what that actually ends up bringing me, uh, I do have a set of skills that are relatively unique and, it puts me in a position of choice, right? It means I think I probably have the, the opportunity for whatever I, I choose to do next to make a choice. And I think every choice comes with cost and opportunity cost, right? But I think I'm, I'm now starting to think about what would it look like if I made an active choice to optimize for, for good? And in that sense, you know, where can I have impact that isn't just about me making money and being a cog in a machine, but also about uh, how can I, how can I genuinely have an outsized impact on 
some aspect of the world. I can't fix the whole world, but I can definitely try and make some mm. things better. The, the thing you ask me about, I think, uh, touches guilt or, or why do I deserve this? And I think, honestly, the, the answer is that I don't. I just have been very lucky in the place I was born, the people I was born to, and that that gives me a an opportunity that isn't afforded everybody. And I feel like a sense of responsibility almost to not to not waste that. If I am dealt a hand where I get to make those choices, then I should be able to actually make those choices in ways that I think are so important. So I want to I keep pushing on this a little bit, this because uh, if you don't mind, you just shared really vulnerably that, that guilt, that um, sense of deservedness. And I actually think this is a part of our culture that bumps up against intimacy, which is that we tend to minimize our joy because we feel this sense of larger uh, guilt or responsibility to the collective. And there's this sense that if I'm free and joyful and exuberant and loving or whatever, if I, if I take the chains off and I'm, you know, full out bragging about how great I am and how wonderful my life is, there's, something wrong and bad about that. And it, re- it reminds me of a conversation I had with one of my really good friends when I s- fell in love with my partner. It was the first time where I had a, sus- a, a sustained long period of time where I didn't have anything negative to report when I called my girlfriends. And I noticed this dynamic shift where it felt uncomfortable to keep reporting that things were wonderful. You know, to, we didn't have the language as friends to get into, felt strange to detail all the things that are wonderful. And yet, in the flip side, you know, when I've been in less happy, less successful relationships, I've spent hours detailing all the things that are going wrong, right? So, and that struck me. It was like, why do we live in a culture where it's perfectly acceptable for me to, minutely detail the things that are failing or difficult in my life. But as soon as things are really uh, powerfully good, I feel like I have to hold it in and it's awkward to share it with someone who maybe isn't having that same experience. And I think it actually comes to how we are used to storytelling Mm -hmm. happening, right? The the hero, the hero in the story uh, starts out in an okay place and then uh, is facing an enormous obstacle, has to fight, 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 fight. And that is the interesting part of the story, that they live happily ever after. <laughs> you never get into that. It's, it's so true. End. Well, that's lame. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But even in, like, even in like films that are meant to be mostly funny, that is generally the story arc, right? The, the resolution of the story or the, the release of the tension is the end of the story. There's no more story right. to tell at that Well, and the problem with that is that uh, I think in my mother's generation, her parents' generation, people stayed in marriages where they were completely unhappy and they didn't communicate and they just, you know, suffered through it. And, uh, you know, so I do think that we're moving towards looking for opportunities to find joy in life and prioritize that more. You know, I, I think that there's more room to talk about, you know, I'm going to leave this job because I'm not happy, which I think my grandfather would have just completely rolled over in his grave about, you know, like, no, you stay in a job if it's providing the food for the table, you know? Um, And here you are speaking about, you know, I'm going to look for the things that fulfill me. 
Yeah. And I think I, I return to my original comment, which is, you know, is that selfish or is that uh, an okay thing to, to optimize for? Um, Maybe we'll leave it at that. Yeah. I think it's a great question to ponder. <laughs> Hi, Hi, I have for one sure. more question for you, which is if there was one song you cannot not dance to, what would it be? So this is kind of cool. <laughs> I wrote this question. And as I did, I knew you were going to interview me at some point. And guess how much thought I've spent <laughs> thinking about this question. God. Um. There is a song by Muramasa, who is a uh, fantastic artist, called Lovesick. And it fills me with such deep happiness. It has incredible musical drive. It is cheeky. It plays with musical genres. And it is one of those songs that just fills me with warmth from the mm, inside out. Thank you. So Mura, Muramasa's Lovesick, um, every day of the week. Uh, you sold it. I'm going to go look song. it up and listen to it. Awesome. Thank you <laughs> so much for sharing your journey with us. And I just love talking to you. Thank you, Haya. Thank you so much for having me. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute or our workshops, visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I dot org. Thank you so much for listening to May I Have This Dance. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Bye-bye.